Yeah. Hey, this is John Willis. This is another episode of uh, the Profound Podcast, and I've got a, a like I'm really excited for this guest today. Uh, Katie, Katie, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, John. I'm Katie Anderson. I am a leadership consultant and coach and the author of the best-selling book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. And I'm really excited to talk with you here today about how we really create learning organizations and deeper thinking uh, in ourselves and the people all around us as well. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get into the book. I, uh, I got, I've got said a lot of positive things and I want to pick your brain but you know i I went back and i I looked at your a little bit of your background and you know even your background is like very impressive you know um but um you know one of the things i i i found interesting is and you know we can talk a little bit about this or but it seems like you started out like in patient care and lean yeah so right maybe i'll give you a little context of my my lean journey journey so i actually first started off my career as an academic Okay. In doing healthcare policy research, I have a master's degree in um, public health policy. I was a Fulbright scholar to uh, Australia, so I had this deep foundation of like of learning as sort of the core of who I am. And it was in my early 30s that I got introduced to lean when I was working in hospital and healthcare systems. So I I'm not a direct patient provider myself, but I was um, working in a continuous improvement role at Stanford Children's Hospital for six years. And that's really where the spark of just enthusiasm for my sort of, I guess, the next phase of my career came from about really helping people solve important problems. Um, and that just set me off on a whole nother trajectory of more leadership roles and continuous improvement and then starting my own consulting practice nearly a decade ago. Wow. You know, and the reason that it's, it's fascinating to me because I, I came into lead pretty late you know i've been an it person programmer and and then this devops movement started and mm-hmm. and even in the early days of devops and even if anybody tells you this is not true they're sort of fibbing because we didn't really know we were like implementing a model that was lean yeah i mean we knew agile had a big impact on what we did but i mean i think a lot of us collectively started realizing as we sort of backtracked and certain authors that we ran into, like, oh, we've just been mimicking lean for software. But one of the ways that, um, you know, when I started thinking about Dr. Deming and wanted to go a little deeper into lean is um, some of the the early stuff, I couldn't find anything in IT that really was very, you know, there was Mary Poppendick's lean software development. And that, that that's a great sort of stake in the ground. But, but for like the stuff we were trying to do in DevOps, um, the, the place I found incredible resources was in healthcare, and I, you know, and and I, and I even got to interview a woman who, you know, spent the last couple, last two years of Deming's life traveling with him, and she used this phenomenal story of uh, started out as a nurse and then she became one of the leading healthcare, um, you know, improvement, you know, and I was just, just wondering why why healthcare? Do you think it just mm. seems it has such a huge blast radius in this stuff as an industry? Well. You know, a few a few things on things on that. You know, first, healthcare and medicine is really fundamentally based around the scientific method. So even though you know they haven't, it's it's, it's manifested in a different way. People go into medicine are are scientific thinkers, right. so there's some sort of inherent, I think, uh, attraction to this type of process. What I what I discovered though is that it's interesting that people in medicine tend to have their 
you know, their medicine hat on and mm-hmm. very scientific thinkers. But then when it comes to the operation side, it's all, you know, firefighting and uh, <laughs> these other issues. But there's such, you know, there was a real need for improvement, uh, you know, back in the the 1990s and early 2000s, a real focus on patient quality and how we were going to do that. And uh, there were some pockets that really led led the way up in Seattle, you know, where they had Boeing that was, you know, so we're like industry efforts that were improving manufacturing. And I think they had some fire starter consultants that really came into those areas and then got those early adopters. And so my training actually came through people who were up in Seattle and then brought it down to uh, California. So I think that there were just in the, the, there's so much um, purpose behind medicine that I think it really attracts people who are purpose-driven as well. So I think that combination of scientific mindset and, and like very clear purpose uh, aligned it as well. Yeah, no, I I love that. And then, you know, when I'm reading your book, and then one of the things is you, you say, oh, I wind up going to Japan. Yeah. And I was trying to go back through your career. So it looks like you had an opportunity to teach. Because your book, you don't really know. Like, again, we're going into this fantastic yeah. story of what, what happened to you in the journey there. But you don't really say, I'm like, okay, well, I wonder why she went Yeah, I will mentioned it very uh, short, uh, very briefly in the beginning of the uh, in the preface for, for me that the trip to J- or the opportunity to live in Japan, which was incredible. So it was for my husband's job and he works oh. in tech and IT as well. And so unrelated to my career, he had the opportunity to, uh, m- for us to move to Japan, to move to Tokyo in 2015 and 16. Of course, when he said, I have this opportunity for Japan, I, my eyes lit up and I was beyond thrilled uh, I'd always wanted to go to Japan and here I was going to have an opportunity. Because of lean, you thought, oh my goodness. I mean, yes, to go to Toyota. I get to go to the Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. To go to the Mecca, to go to the source. And then, uh, what really brought it all together was a month after we found out about my husband's job opportunity in Japan, I was at a conference, a lean coaching conference. And Mr. Yoshino, Asao Yoshino, who's now the subject of my book, a 40 year Toyota leader, was at the conference too and speaking on stage with John Shook, who is the former okay. president of the Lean Enterprise Institute. And Mr. Yoshino was John Shook's first manager at Toyota back in the 1980s. Well, I got a chance to meet Mr. Yoshino at that conference. He gave me his business card and said, oh, wow. when you move to Japan, look me up. I'll take you to Toyota City. We'll go to Toyota and we'll spend the day together. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so that was five months before we moved to Japan. And so that was the beginning of what has been one of the most impactful relationships and experiences of my life. Yeah, no, I, you, you get that in the book. It's like, I'm thinking like how, what, what an opportunity, like you're going there, you're lean. And like, I always think about this. I visit, I took my family a couple of years. I could talk about getting, just going through the plant and, you know, watching the 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 the, uh, the sort of Kanban lights and like understanding the you know in software we we talk about Kanban from software right and then I all of a sudden I see these things just from any view in the building mm. you know oh wow that's really what it does it it, it illuminates everything mm. that's going on but but to to find this the, the thing that I loved about your book and we'll go break it down is you, you just found this unbelievable person that had this, you know, like we can talk about lean all day long. We can talk about total. I can talk about Deming. 
But you find somebody who has these four stu- you know, case stories. Mm. And like, it just must have seemed, you must have, even now you must sort of pinch yourself and say, yeah. man, that how lucky out of anybody I could have met to be able mm. to tell a story the way you were able to tell about his life. Mm, thank you. You know what? We, Mr. Yoshino and I feel like it's a very symbiotic relationship, you know, that he couldn't have told his story the same way without me. And, you know, and I certainly could have obviously not have told the story or had this level of rich insight about Toyota leadership without him. And it's just a really um, special partnership. And we continue to partner, you know, today, even virtually, you know, virtually we do sessions together for different leadership teams. And it was, it was very clear. We have some very, some common sort of core parts of ourselves, you know, the weft threat, sorry, the warp threads that you might, um, you know, that we talk about as the metaphor, like the things that are really core to who we are very international people. I've lived in seven countries, a really rich connection to learning and a real desire to connect with people and help them. And those, those elements of us have really just been the foundation of our relationship as well. Uh, and so one, what I thought was truly a once in a lifetime opportunity to you know spend the day with this amazing Toyota leader yeah. turned into, you know, I, I just said, well, let's, can I get on the Shinkansen, the bullet train and come down again and visit you? He said, yes, I would love that. And so I would just take the 90 minute bullet train and spend the day with him and started writing blog posts about what I was learning. And that he, he, he said, you can write about anything we talk about. And that was then the beginning of what later became the idea for collaborating on a book and then resulted in a much bigger book than I anticipated, but it's a story that needed to be told. Like the more I... And I've got so many thoughts of why that story is so good. The one thing before we get like heavy yeah. into the story is it made me think about how many, and, and he's a fantastic, I don't think, you know, like if, if, you know, being able to tell his story was just perfect. But I wonder, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, like for me, I learned all about lean from the sort of outside looking in. I think most of us do that, mm. right? And then all of a sudden you find this 40-year career person who has this, like the gaps, the real things. The, it wasn't always like this. I was wondering, like, if you mm. spent some time, how many more people like that we've never heard of that mm. are in Toyota that just have these, like for us who geek out on this stuff, could be just an, another group of amazing stories. For sure. And there are books in Japanese, you know, oh, that are that are oh. written, but they haven't made it to hmm. to us. Uh, Mr. Yoshino has a uh, unique. Well, it, yes. So, yeah, I agree with you. There is a lot of riches, <laughs> including Mr. Yoshino's um, boss, who we mentioned in, in the book, who Mr. Segura, who reported to Mr. Nomoto, who was in charge of the ConPro <laughs> learning program. And, and he's alive. He's in his 90s. Oh, you can't see it, but that's Mr. Nomoto's book. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah and then right. so the, the in-between, so with the Mr. Segura reported to Mr. Nomoto and Mr. Yoshino reported to him, he's alive and in his nineties. I'm oh, really? hoping in wow. my trips to Japan that I be, might be able to meet him, but we'll, we'll see. But Mr. Yoshino, you know, he was at these really key roles behind the scenes doing training and development of leaders at different points in his career when Toyota was trying to create this more people-centered learning culture, which was incredible. And he lived in the U.S. for 14 years and so speaks 
perfect English. And, you know, that, that, that helps, helps it. But yes, his story would, if I, if we hadn't met, you know, of course he's mentioned in John Shook's book, Managing to Learn as, you know, the person who was his manager, who taught him about A3 Uh thinking and all these things, but the richness of the stories wouldn't have come out. So I feel like my contribution to, to the world is to have captured this oral history and and, and yeah. documented it. And you did. And, you know, the, the one that's thing about the the reason I literally bought, um, I haven't read it yet, the, the Masino or Nomoto, I'm terrible at names. Nomoto, the Masao Nomoto. Um, is he, what he makes the quote, I wrote it down here, he said he is as important of Toyota, as Toyota Ono. Yes. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yes. You know, that, there's you know got to be some gold there so yeah like so he's that's on my list to read his book so. absolutely his leadership credo and the, he what mr nomoto said is the foundation of the more people centered side of toyota and what they were really focusing on as the model for their leadership starting in the mid 70s comes from a sound nomoto and uh wow. It's incredible. Like the, the Taiji Ono is more tied to like the production system, right. and Nomoto might you might say is the sort of the father of the Toyota way. You know? And, you know, that's the interesting thing about like, and it's just like how we learn, or certainly how I learn. You know, you you try to sort of cover as much of the sort of the canvas with mm. your understanding. So you learn lean, and and you think, okay, well, it's it's um, Toyota Ono and it's TPS, right? And it's and then you sort of hear a statement like that and. Or, or you think lean, or I, I tell you another thing that, that I thought was interesting is it's easy to fall into a narrative that from like, like sort of post-Deming, post-Japan sort of industrial miracle, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not just Deming, it's a lot of things that happen. That that it, it seems like the way I learned it and why I think a lot of people think about it is just Toyota was just this one sort of up and to the left and then you hear these sort of stories where yeah. the, you know that like it there were jagged things and it wasn't perfect and this didn't work and 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 I thought to me that was another really interesting part of this story which was again you you you, you know we talk about like oh Toyota decimated you know Detroit and you know they just starting in the late 60s early 70s and then you hear a story about how or let's get into it one of the first projects Mr. Yushima has is because there's a dip in the seventies. Mm. You know, yes. so I, I just thought that was, that was another fascinating part of this is that it was the, um, it was a more realistic story of the what real story. Like. Yeah. 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 As opposed and, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong or there's, you know, I mean, it's okay that we have this narrative, what lean has, what Toyota did to create lean. And, but, but it was great to sort of, be a level you understood that and then say oh of course there had to be some jagged edges absolutely and the some a key theme of the book and, and toyota's experience both from an organization and individual leaders is around failure in the challenge and knowing you have to meet a big new audacious goal but having the failure points along there and their secret is that they're better at learning and so learning their way forward so when you look back um, oh, it all, it all, you know, looks like, of course they got there. I also think what's to me is really important is that there was intentional focus from the executive team of the culture they wanted to create. And they said, you know, we're talking about the seventies here. They're like, wow, we're seeing a gap. You know, we had all this success with the, 
the Dem, you know, the Deming Prize in the 1960s, and we were doing a great job, but things have slipped. And so we need to keep refocusing on what we want to create. Um, it doesn't just all happen by magic, which I think is an easy narrative to have, like, oh, it's always been this way at Toyota. Yeah, and of yeah. course, there's foundational things that they've developed, but it still requires hard work and practice from uh, their leaders, too. Right. Yeah. And like we could talk about like sort of modern day, you know, culture and 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 how those traps of success can just get you in big trouble. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's the thing. So I'll, I'll say this right off the bat. Right. Which is I came into lean late. I wasn't sort of a traditional. I was sort of backtracking from all the things that like we were saying in DevOps and Gene Kim, a good friend of mine, co-author, you know, the Phoenix Project and he calls me one day and he says, you have to read this book. You know, when Gene says this, it, and it was Mike Roth's Torticata. Mm. And I read that. And then, uh, you know, not short, long after that, he said, you have to read another book. And it was Steven Spears, um, High Velocity mm -hmm. Edge. And for the longest time, and this might sound very disrespectful to the lean community, but like it is not the intent. I would tell you people, if you're like me and you're coming in new to lean, there's only two books you have to read. Read right, Mike Roth's Toyota Kata, and, and I'm not I'm not looking for an acknowledgement because there's there's a there's a happy ending in this story because now I think there's three books mm. uh, because I I always felt that you know I've talked to Stephen and I've talked to Mike over this and like they tell a story and neither of them have ever talked to each other but you look at Toyota Kata and the way the way he describes the you know I think he starts the book off with that I'm going to tell you every, there's been 100 books about Jeline but I'm going to tell you the hidden side mm -hmm. and then Spear tells you about sort of all these other ways of thinking that is just lean and then again why I think now if I say this to people that what well, you need to read your book because it fills the gaps and so I think to to me you know that I I, I truly believe that you know, whether I'm right or wrong, <laughs> you know, now in my list, I would say if you're coming in cold and new and you want to get started, you'd read these three books in this three or this order. And because I think your book gave an incredible realistic view. And once you understood Rother's, you know, what, what he was talking about, improvement kata and coaching kata, and you, and you saw Steven Spears examples, you're ready to look at the strength of your story, if that makes mm. sense. Because now you've sort of got, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You're primed. And, and no. that's a real story of somebody who has an incredible 40-year career. So, mm -hmm. Well, thank you, John. That means a lot to me um, to know that the book's not only helped you, but you think that it's an, a valuable resource for others to really get what the essence is. And I, I think we all learn best through stories, too. So it's great to have the frameworks. But yes, this is like the real, the real lived experience. and someone truly learning how, how to lead in this way, you know, leading in this sort of Kata mindset, although, you know, he wouldn't call it Toyota Kata, but it's right. the same. It's exactly what Mike described, as well as, you know, the thinking process behind this high velocity edge that, that companies have. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's a human story, you know, and it's, <laughs> and I think we all can relate. Sometimes it's too easy to put people on pedestals and like, what a great yeah, leader, yeah, but it's yeah. like, there, he was really, vulnerable to share the challenges as well. And I, I very much appreciate that. And I think it helps people to make that leap into what they might become um, and to acknowledge that, that it's okay to have 
challenges and failures. Uh, yeah. No, you know, I had uh, now I, you sort of crystallized why I like the book so much. I, I mean, I sort of, I guess I knew that it was the reason, you know, I didn't, I couldn't crystallize exactly why I love it. And it is because it's a, you, you put a human story on top of, you know, stuff that I was sort of uh, academically learning. So, so um, with that, so that there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff, there's four case studies, right. And, and again, one of the other things that's great about them is, you know, I would say, you know, two of them, one of them, you know, two of them are sort of bad stories and two of them are great stories, which is mm. another great, like you didn't just tell a story about this person who they did this amazing thing and then they did this amazing thing. And, and, you know, it was, it was, um, seemed to be balanced really well between like a great story, a not so great story, an incredible story, the new me. And then yeah. let me tell you a real failure story. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and I think you know, and I guess that just was his career, right? That, I mean, just, right. It's life. It's how it, how it, he experienced it as well, and it shows too that even when you know things intellectually, when you're placed in a challenging environment, it's not always easy to embody those principles or lead the way you mm -hmm. want. There's yeah. other factors, and so um, yeah, and and there are business failures that happen too, even with the best intentions. Yeah. No, I think I was trying to tell somebody. Uh, I was I was just at Amazon's re-event for the last couple of days, and a good friend of mine. You know, we we sort of worked on the early days of DevOps, and I was saying that this book is great because, and and I said, you know, it has a great failure story, and he's like, "What is the failure story of Toyota?" Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, you don't hear about, the, yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard about Toyota's water ski boat? I know it was great, and and what was cool about that too is. He he you know, like he knew all this right stuff, but he fell into the trap that we all can fall into, mm. right? Like he, I mean, I, and I think in the retrospective in the book, he started saying, analyzing why he fell, and he broke some of the rules that he knew he should never do, right? So, yeah. well, it's like um, our human well, experience under stress and under feeling uh, like we have these business goals. Oh, it's let's just cut, let's let's take the shortcuts, but it's actually the <laughs> the the long path gets you there faster yeah and i think it also that you know like it was a good it's a good study on bias too right because like he he had had that conversations uh, you know so why, why don't you tell uh, i guess tell some of the overview of the, the four stories from you instead of me telling it let, let the author tell it <laughs> yeah sure so the you know the beginning part of the book is there's some personal context to sort of you know humanize his experience rather than just putting him in um, but the first part of the book is are more like short vignettes of things that he learned sort of in the first 10, 15 years of his career, then move into four case studies and then one longer case study. So uh, the first four case studies are about the first two are about some really seminal uh, organizational um, I don't know, I don't know if challenges, but focus at Toyota. So the first was this Conpro management training initiative that Mr. Yoshino happened to be part of that was uh, created or, you know, commissioned by Mr. Nomoto, who we talked about earlier, and then given to Mr. Segura, Mr. Yoshino's boss to implement. And this was when they realized in the late seventies that they had a big leadership gap that, you know, there were huge quality issues. There was the oil crisis and they realized that Toyota had started to be really siloed and people weren't talking to each other. Um, there are a lot of quality issues on the on the floor, and they realized that actually quality issues on the floor means there's a management issue 
um, up higher. So interestingly enough, they they saw that it was such a demingism right there. There's like that is a like that's that's a quote straight out of a deming book. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yes, yeah. totally. So they 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 in Toyota, those senior executives had been trained in the Deming model and yeah. through the 1960s. So they realized that like sort of things had gotten trickled down and, um, you know, diffuse. And so they put together this internal two year long program to really reteach sort of the thousand, the layer of a thousand or so senior most managers, the so one layer below the executive team, how to set a clear direction, how to support their people, how to talk, you know, horizontally in the organization. And this is where really, where the concept of using an A3 size piece of paper, so the double of the letter, the A to four, as the communication tool um, came to be at Toyota, as we're established at Toyota as the main communication tool. And Mr. Yoshino was the handful of like five or six internal people okay. coaching and developing these senior executives and learning from Mr. Nomoto, which was just, I mean, for him, what an incredible experience. He was in his mid 30s at this time, uh, early 30s. And then that really helped reset Toyota's management system that now has ended up, you know, all of those leaders became the, the folks in the 80s and the 90s that were really leading the way at Toyota. So when people like Jim Womack and others were going out to study Toyota, this is the management culture that they were seeing. They were the seeing result. The, the output of that. They were, yeah. they were seeing the output of that. Okay, so fast forward uh, a handful of years then, Mr. Yoshino uh, was assigned to be responsible for the training program for the American managers and shop floor supervisors for the joint venture between Toyota and General Motors called NUMI, actually near where I'm where I live. Mm -hmm. And this was in the early 1980s. And what's interesting, this was going to be Toyota's first foray into overseas manufacturing. They, you know, they were assembling things overseas, but actually producing producing cars and they it would, they took the worst performing plant at General Motors and I mean there's so many there's so much written about yeah, this there's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. podcast from John Shook about this too anyway Mr. Yoshino's responsibility was to take these Americans and teach them basically the Toyota way and so you know they would come over in these cohorts of like 20 people or so for 3 weeks this is when John Shook was hired um, as sort of the American uh, influence to sort of cross bridge, you know, cultural things. And this is, you know, they, that was the foundation of all of the Americans to learn the Toyota way. And it was a, it's an incredible story. They showed that it doesn't matter what culture you're from, that the principles work if they're actually applied in a human way of supporting people and having a, a just a different, just a yeah. whole different philosophy and, and way leaders engage with each other. I, I've done a fair amount of research on the new me thing, right? And a lot of people who listen to this podcast are mo probably most familiar with the new me thing. Uh, Judd Sumble did a great job in his continuous delivery book about it. But um, yeah, I think one of the things that like I read that was so interesting is there was a lot of pushback that the, the um, before the new me, which was that the Americans can't do it because they don't have that intrinsic culture that they have in Japan. Mm. And with all these sort of like the, these oh, excuses yeah. Of like, yeah, but it's just something they can do because it's it's built into culture. It's the way they think. And then that just destroyed. And then the other point I wanted to make uh, is that, you know, if you think you're listening to saying like, oh, you know, they're giving away the whole book. I, I'll just say this and we won't give it away is 
the stories you tell from him about the training and how they the way he he uses he the, his depth of understanding a culture that he probably doesn't understand that great and make sure that the, the people that went over there, I, I thought those stories were fantastic as well. Thank you. Yes. And so like so much has been written about Numi and yeah. not many people knew about Conpro before. I feel like there's more to be written about Conpro. So uh, <laughs> we'll see, but the, it's, it was, it's this, behind, this, this is the behind the scenes stories of what was really happening there. And from the person who was leading, leading yeah. it. And so it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's great. And so there's some stories that didn't quite make it into the book because they weren't fit for publication, but there are many surprising things. And there were a couple you know, though, little, like, like, were that nasty, but they were, you know, they, they were yeah. just a couple of good ones where you, yeah, like the towel know, incident or the, cur- the curfew, thing about the curfews yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, it's just how we handled that and some cultural differences. And then, you know, the two other, the, the, the two smaller case studies after this are more of talking about some time that the two subsequent assignments that Mr. Yoshino had after that one, which was finally fulfilling his lifelong dream of moving to the United States. And he actually lived, you know, 20 minutes from where, where I, I am based uh, in the 1990s to support the NUMI plant uh, as in the office there. And, you know, it turned out to be <laughs> totally not what he expected. And so just what did he do with that? And it, just the richness of learning about how you can, uh, your mindset and your actions can really shift you, the, your experience and the experience of others as well. And then he came back to Japan as this changed person, like really integrated with, he, you know, not just a true Japanese person, but with things that he learned in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And how did he then take that and really embody, as John Shook said to me when he was reading the manuscript, he really, Mr. Yoshino, like embodied sort of the the epitome of the perfect Toyota leader, not the perfect Toyota leader, but like the model of the, like the, the, the leader we want to emulate. And so what did he do there really around setting direction? How did he really, uh, you know, develop his people and how is he improving himself at the same time? And so that was like this beautiful story. And then it turns into this 10 year long next career, which is the, you know, the, the, the real big failure of yeah. Toyota's water ski boat business, which I'm sure most people haven't heard about. Oh, and I, I want to get into detail, but I want to keep the, to keep things. I'm like, Oh, I got to ask her this. I gotta okay. So ask her, I'll, I'll take a pause and then we yeah, can yeah. dive into the failure. We'll, we'll there's the, so much more to unpack around that. Cause it was a 10 year, a 10 year experience. And yeah, just no, also I, the process of uncovering that was a really interesting one okay. for me with him as well. I, I think one of the things that was sort of interesting too is, you know, one of the things I, um, you know, I covered in my book, which was Toyota's first attempt at a car in the U.S. It was a car called a Toyota Pet, and it was it was a disaster. It was designed for the rugged roads there, and it, there were all these things it couldn't do. And in in classic Toyota fashion, they pull it off the market, yep. they rethink it, and they come back with what the Corolla. And so I thought, like I had known that story, and you know this, there, there's they're like they they take failure to like this incredible improvement but you you sort of nailed that too with uh why numi happened you know like look because you said that like honda and nissan were already just building plants you know they were just sort of building plants like okay it's time to go to america there are some incentives of you know sort of um tariffs and stuff but to me that was another classic toyota stepping back and saying you know we're not going to do that let's do this joint venture idea so we can learn yes. before we build our first plant, real plant yes. in, in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, and I, that was, 
and that was their intention uh, yeah. as well. It was they also wanted to see what uh, the other car manufacturers were, you know, what would happen to them. So it's all they go slow to go fast because yeah. they want they want more time to learn, and they wanted to have the experience of working with a unionized, uh, you know, a unionized workforce, which was yeah, new to them. Sure. And yeah, so right. they had a great opportunity to yeah. learn and it was an incredible success story. And that's what set them up for success in Kentucky because they learned so much about but people management. Culture, right? and, they yeah. just, like you said, they're just insatiable as an organ. I mean, Steven Spear has this quote and I always mangle it a little bit, but because he did, um, yeah, you know, he did his masters on, um, you know, decoding the Toyota TPA and uh, yep. uh, and TPS. Sorry, um, and he said in this one quote, and I never get it perfect, but like the intent is, the Toyota was a community of scientists continually experimenting. Yeah, you know, it's, and, and, it's and like so true. But one last thing, and I sent this in an email, and I it, like it just it sort of confounds me a little bit, and you know maybe you know, and I think I have this general sort of you know coming into lean late and. You know, I, I guess I would say that, you know, Winston Churchill said, history is going to be kind to me because I'm going to write it. And and as I read different leans, you know, like there's sort of like an MIT version of what happened in Toyota. And there's sort of a Harvard, uh, there's a Harvard MIT version. And then there's a University of Michigan. And I don't want to get into that too much. But when I was reading and I knew I had a good friend, Courtney Kissy, she was over at Nike and she did, she, you know, I never got around to interviewing her. I, I need now to do it. But she's like, John, I'm using hosting Canary and it's just amazing. Right. And, and, and this is a woman that like, she was one of the pioneers in early days DevOps. She was like one of the first enterprises to do DevOps. And, and you, if you talk to somebody in DevOps community, like, how'd you get in DevOps? Oh yeah, we, we were told to talk to Courtney and, and then I'm like, okay, if Courtney's running this. But then I, I sort of put it on the back burner. And then I'm reading in the book that it's fundamental to the CAMPRO and all this. And I go back and wait, why does it Mike Rother say anything about this? Why does this? And I, I don't know there's an answer, but like it seemed to me that like for certainly Mike, who went over there and studied them, it, it just seems like there were, I, 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 I'm having sort of a breakdown trying to figure out because it seems so fundamental from a person who was there for 40 years. Is it? I mean, is there well, an answer? The, you know, so, you know, I, the way I would link that is that the same process of thinking that Mike Rother describes as the Toyota Kata is right. the same process that happens within Hoshin Conry or strategy deployment. It's it, but it, it's, it's more of how are they communicating and solving bigger problems rather than how are you doing more problem solving in a more, you know, department or across, across the area. So he was really looking at how they having those conversations. Um you know, you can't, there's only, you could also write. Yeah, no, you would on, on, on Hoshin Conry. But most people get Hoshin Conry or strategy deployment wrong mm. because they don't, they, you know, you, well, this is like, I think what most people have gotten wrong or why so many lean efforts fail is because we focus on the visible tools and the, you know, like all the lights and all the visible things and the structure of the template those are all structures to help support learning. And so, but if you don't have the learning built into it or the conversations and the questions and the thinking and the reflection, then it's going to fail. So like strategy deployment, most people still like basically take their old, you know, goal, you know, typical strategy process, put it into this thing and then expect it to be working. But what's missing are the conversations and the, the real understanding. Learn. So, um, so I'd say like, 
the, the same process, you know, there's so there's much no question it's, it's, hidden. The it's, it's the invisible things, right? Yeah. 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 No, it's a, no question. And, in, in, uh, um, all right. So the, 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 the grand story, the, 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 the massive failure that when people are like, what, what, what is a failure? Toyota? Well, so what's super interesting is that, so Toyota, Toyota as a mindset of learning is also willing to have failures. And so they, for innovation, you have to be willing to have failures, right? So you, you, of course you want to, you want to get the successes, but you have to have a lot of different failures. And so, you know, they even had a, the whole department focused on new innovation and new ideas that would then get funded and they would run experiments knowing that some may fail and they had things in aviation and they had things in like fuel cells and they had, then Mr. Yoshino had this idea for a, you're taking the Lexus engine and putting it into American water ski boats and creating this high-end water ski boat. They said, well, that sounds like a great idea. He pitched it and they said, yes. And then off he went to back to the United States. And, you know, so taking the backstory of uncovering this failure, Mr. Yoshino always was transparent that there was this business failure and that it was hard, but I never really knew much about it. And actually the, the sort of two years of us working on the interviews for this book was a process of unpeeling this onion the most. And he really never wanted to go into it deep because it was very hard, both on a personal level of um, things that were going on, as well as just like a professional level, very challenging. And uh, there was this one remarkable moment, you know, I can't remember when it was, but maybe it was about six months before, uh, six or eight months before the book came out. And it really he he'd always been sort of gray and kind of down when we were talking about this failure. And he's, you know, we have a very close relationship. Right. And one day he had this smile and he said, you know what, all of your questions and your reframing and, and kind of curious yeah. of how this all happened has really helped me see this in a different light. And I don't, I was like, I unburdened him from the personal sense of failure. And he was able to see this experience from a different light. And then from that point on, he was able to talk about it with so much more detail. And he sh- he's like, he didn't want to share these things. So they were painful. And but it helped pr- paint the context of it. And, and then strength. and then we were able to really your strength un- was that. basically turning that into a story that we all get to. Yes. And, um, and so he now and it's still, you know, it was, it was a decade and a lot of really hard things that happened. Right. But he was able to have a different level of reflection and also unburden the sort of the, per, I guess, maybe the personal judgment yeah, of sure. yeah. um, around that. And so I think a key, some key points out of that, that experience are one is that, you know, the beauty of this whole, like, it's okay to fail and have mistakes. Mr. Fujio Cho, who was the president of Toyota at that time, who was the former president of you know, Toyota, Kentucky, he said to Mr. Yoshino, you know, you tried hard to achieve a challenge and we failed and that's okay. Um, you made mistakes and we made mistakes too. We were all new to this business. And then he gave, they gave Mr. Yoshino a great new assignment for his final assignment um, at Toyota. And so it just really showed that the organization wasn't punitive and blaming. They too took a risk and they also, they too had responsibilities for reasons why this didn't work out. It wasn't all his, wasn't all his fault. And then I think the second thing is, you know, as we were exploring earlier, that you can know intellectually and even know through your own practice what sort of the right thing to do is. But under under different pressures or in different environments, it can be easy to sort of shortcut or do like, you know, be overwhelming. We have this human experience. Um, And so that was some of Mr. Yoshino's reflection too, that 
he didn't do things in the way that he knew he should have, but there were also factors that, you know, it was a human, it was a human experience that we all can relate to. Well, I mean, I've, I've had like 10 startups, probably seven of them were like massive failure disasters. It is hard to give up your baby. You know, it's like, mm. you know, like that. there's so much cognitive uh, baggage around something that, you know, the way you tell the story is he has this idea and then it, it sort of becomes this. And I can imagine because, you know, you you think about, man, Toyota and speedboats like that would be like I, I'd have one right now, probably yeah. if, if that would have succeeded. The, the, the other thing in their story, there was a little gem, I thought, which was um, was when um, he went. I think again, this is a combination of like Toyota's a little bit of Gemba, but a little bit of their leadership, but then also just that he was a really good leader. Because I know a lot of leaders that, have, you know, like in my world, like somebody comes up with a software thing and and a great leader might not be the, the exact programmer and know all the sort of ins and outs of the complexity of the program. But you can't, you know, I'll just use one curse. You can't bullshit a great leader. And I, the story when they take him out on the boat. <laughs> yes. And, great. And he, and he's She's like, like, what the what? <laughs> and they're like, and the American guy, and he didn't even convince this is how sort of how how hard it is to do this stuff, right? He convinced um Yoshino's protege. Yeah, the Japanese engineer. Yeah. Yeah, they picked. Yeah, they picked. It's okay. It had already be like, so the American guy says, and I, you know, I'm going from some memory, but the, the yeah. American guy says, Oh, well, don't worry about that. That's something that happens with American boats. And don't worry about that. Yeah. And Yoshino's sitting there going, No, no. Right. My the boat's answer. not going the right direction. Yes. This is a problem. Then, but then, the, then, like, what made it even more interesting is the, the the young Toyota engineer had fell into the trap, going, you know, I think they're right, you know, and like, and but him, his instinct was to, you know, like mm. what I think is like I've seen great leaders in like software development and software startup companies where they may not, you know, like you, you know, like somebody come in and say, hey, boss, you really wouldn't understand this, you know, it's. You know, I know it doesn't look right, but like in the grand scheme of things, us genius programmers would always, you know, and but a great leader is like, yeah, I'm sorry, I may not understand the complexity of the algorithms, but like that doesn't smell right. Yeah. And so anyway, I thought that was a great sort of insight of mm. his. So, yeah, it was like the red flags. And then, you know, he, he's like, I should have done taking more action, even if, you know, they, yeah. No, there's so there's so much richness in it, and I'm I'm so appreciative that he was willing to go go inside and really sh share this hard journey because because so many people like yourselves are self is also learning from it as well and um, can relate can relate to it. It's like the most powerful experience, and then then you know he's continued to to bring it all forward. So yeah, how do you use this now? And you know, like you know, I mean, you know, you know. This book, this Toyota Kata, there's this book, you know, that I've written some other, I wrote the Doubt's Handbook, there's different books. And and then you go in, you're like, okay, I've got all this like great stuff. And then you go into like a very complex organization. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, like, wait a minute, like, like I know fundamental, all this is right. Why can I? Can't? Mm. So what, what has been sort of like, and this is a you know, terrible question to ask, but like, what is your experience of sort of working that through? And I guess mm. sort of your non success stories of you know that you've taken that you've built a you have had a consulting business mm. you find it what is sort of the roadblocks where like is yeah. you know 
even when you bring in Yoshino in, it's still there. Like, mm. don't get this, or they can't do that. Yeah. So you know, first I want to take a step back of you know the but what it's been great about the book has been able to complement the consulting work and the coaching work that I do and have done for years with organizations. And now we can use the book as a sort of a, as a shared learning experience of, and, you know, leaders reading it and then reflecting on it. And how does that compare and contrast to what they're trying to do? And it really has some light bulb moments in the same way that you've had um, of helping people see what a different way looks like because they may not have seen gone to you know to experience Toyota themselves or experience what different way of being. And then we're sort of my where my skills and come in is really helping people then apply these practices from uh, you know in behaviors around setting direction. How do we really define problems? How do we coach and develop other people in our organization? And then what are the systems and structures we need? And I usually partner with the change leaders within an organization, either the executive or, you know, the leader of, you know, the lean transformation or the, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and helping them think about this. And I can come in and do some teaching and some support and some thought leadership. And I think that partnership really works quite well. I'm like accelerating their impact and also being able to provide some of these, these nuggets to help leaders get on that path. The biggest you know the biggest challenge I see with executives and other uh, other leaders is we've been is not about not having the heart. Like we 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 all know what great leadership looks like. We've experienced you know those people in our lives that have coached and developed us, and like we all like I would say for the most part aspire to have that same impact on other people. But what we don't often see is how the actions and behaviors that we've developed through being through schooling, being independent contributors, being experts in our field or our discipline get in the way of doing that. And so where I help leaders do is see that impact they want to have, reconnect with sort of the heart of who they want to be, and then really understanding what are the leadership behaviors they need to have to align in that direction. And I call that leading with intention. And the way I sort of came up with that is when I lived in Japan, I I needed business cards made and I'd ha- I didn't have a logo for my new business at the time. And so I told the business card company, because you hand them out like Halloween candy, you know, to every single person you meet in, in Asia, uh, just put the word for intention on my business card. And it came back in the, the kanji, the Japanese characters comprised of um, a symbol meaning heart and a symbol meaning direction. And I really saw this word intention is something more active then than just this like, oh, let's set an intention in this sort of mental way, but really connect deeply with your heart. And then what are the actions you need to take to really create that? And so when we can do that, then we are able to start putting things in place and practicing. And if we keep it simple, it's so much easier. Like, how do we move from always telling to asking? How do we, you know, how do we really define a problem? And how do we slow down and have some more patience? And that's the secret sauce. Like, it's really around creating this learning environment. And then you can apply all the tools and the process and look at things and all the technical side which is really important too to create sort of a you know lean yeah. no, I, I company, think that, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that, that I I love the idea because I mean, like to an extent, some of the books that I've been involved with, like Gene's book, it, it, you're right, it creates this at least shareable commonality of like, okay, like that's do we all agree that's good? Do we want to be like that? Let's, let's decouple it, and you know, so you know, even some books I've had and. Um, and then the intent, you know, I think there's just so much, you know, um, 
you know, sort of uh, Simon Sinek's work and, and mm. you know, this, this notion yes. of like intention or in, uh, was the uh, Marquette, you know, the, the David Marquette yeah. turning tip around, right? Yeah. There's just so much there, you know, and, and, and it is sort of buried in lean, but sometimes we don't. Like great leaders can just paint the intent, right? Yeah, so I love that idea of intention. And to let go of us ha- being the ones that come up with all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, the book. Yeah. It's a fantastic book that like Thank you. the people, yeah, yeah. Uh, learn to lead, lead leading to learn. To learn. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, lessons from Toyota Leader on yeah, a lifetime it, of continuous learning. Yeah. Uh, if, yes. If, if people who listen trust my opinion, I would tell you. Uh, there are certain books, you know, um, there's a book by Elliot Gore. It's actually an audio only book. It's called Beyond the Goal. Hmm. And I used to challenge people to say, if you buy this book, you know, once I got to a level where there are too many people listen to me, then I had to stop doing this. But I'd say, if you buy this book and you don't enjoy it as much as I think you will, then I will buy you dinner next time we meet. You know, so um, I do have a lot more like I'm not famous or anything, but I got too many people now like that could really come back and bite me. But it is your book is that, you know, I would say to people that, you know, you're going to have to trust me on this one. Put it on, put it higher in your queue because it's, it's a great mm. book. And thank uh, you. We also have the audio book, which I read. And then you can hear Mr. Yoshino reading yeah, parts and Mr. Uh, and John shook as well. So I, I cheat now. What I do is um, it, it's sort of not cheat. I always felt like doing an audio book on a plane just seemed like, oh, you know, you're not really reading the book, but now what I do is I get the Kindle version. Mm. And I did the audio Wait. on long flights and now I can annotate. And highlight. So I'm like reading along while I'm listening. Mm. Now I can put in like, you know, look, come back to this later, come back mm. to this later. So cool. that's my new weapon of choice on flight. So uh, all right. audio and the, and you, yeah, you, you did a brilliant job just doing your own, own audio, which was pretty cool. Thank so. you. Well, there's that, <laughs> there's a story about mistakes and failures that I ended up doing it twice. Oh, really? Uh, you can listen to my podcast with Mark Graben on the podcast, My Favorite Mistake, if you want to okay. hear about that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, some pandemic related issues, but also that <laughs> it challenged me to embody the leadership principles that I describe uh, in the book. It was uh, this very meta experience, but yeah, you can can learn about that. But I'm happy with uh I wanted high quality for my customers. And so, you know, you have to make things right when that happens. Uh, also, I'm really excited to be able to finally go back to Japan. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I lead these Japan study tours. Mr. Yoshino is part of them. And I was in Japan last at the end of January 2020, like literally as the boat was docking in Yokohama, right. that cruise ship. And I'm Mr. Yoshino turned 79 in January 2023. And I will be there to celebrate with him and to prepare to for out. a different yeah trying to figure out if i can go like i said i just went from a, a real cushy high-paying job to yeah. a startup salary but um yeah it just seems like that's got to be a fantastic uh opportunity it's an incredible learning experience and cultural and fun um but just walking away with a different perspective so if any of your listeners are interested in learning more, have reach out to me on my either website, kbjanderson.com slash Japan trip, or email me at katie at kbjanderson.com. I'm running two trips in 2023, and then we'll see where we go trip? after that. Okay. Oh, that gives me a little bit of a breathing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'll put all the links there. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I just, um, I, you know, it was Glenn Wilson. I, you know, I guess yeah. he's, he's the one that was in London, and he was telling me about the trip, and then 
you said you haven't read her book i'm like no i like and then like like literally yeah. on the plane ride home i literally you know sort of started doing the audio right. well so, thanks yeah glenn was uh hi glenn if you're listening to this yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for the connection here with john uh glenn was part of my leading to learn accelerator program which combines sort of the book and some of my teachings and he and i met up in london recently as well yeah he's great he's great. great he's uh he's pretty been pretty awesome getting to know him all right well this has been i knew it was going to be fun and then i i hope you had as much fun as i did so. i did this is the beginning of not the this is not the only conversation i'm confident that we will have yeah no no absolutely. <laughs> no, it's good the beginning the beginning yeah. i i love uh, i really appreciate um the conversation and it means a lot to hear that you recommend my book amongst you know spears and rothers is the you know the three books for people yeah to yeah, read. yeah 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 so. I, I thank do, you. I, it, you know. As an author, you know, there's so many like, you know, countless hours that you can't even quantify um, to put something together. And I, I'm really I look forward to hearing from your listeners, too, about what they take away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now it's um, I, you know, I've, I've, my book isn't, you know, the 10 years and no less literally the pandemics when I decided, OK, if you're really going to do this thing, you got to do it. And, yep. and I've gotten a couple of just incredible feedback things. And it's just. Boy, it's just, you know, you put, I know what you think is you put so much work into this and it's in your head and then mm. wait for somebody. And then somebody tells, you know, like you know, I've had a couple of people who tell me like, you know, it feels like you wrote this book for me or like these compliments, mm. they mean so much. I know. That's a hard part. It's such a big part of your life mm. to do mm. what you did or hopefully, well, I've already done it. Now the question is. <laughs> How successful it will be. So. Yeah. Well, we can talk offline about all of that too. Happy yeah. To, yeah. Happy to share my learnings and insights. Um, yeah. No, we'll definitely. Publishing and marketing books because that's a whole nother. Oh, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> another thing. I, uh, yeah. That, that's the, that's a rat hole I think I'm going to uh, avoid. I think we're just going to go publish with Gene. I actually started with a literary agent and then we have an expression turtles all the way down. You know, they, <laughs> send you to a proposal writer and they're like yeah. okay all right wait yeah. stop here you know that well you know i published the book myself so Integrin press, well. is, yeah, Integrin press is my imprint is and yours. i yeah, set yeah. up a publishing company and i hired the right people you know yeah. i didn't just like cobble this book together in a word document yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you know so but you know there's a lot of freedom yeah. that comes with that and you can pdca you know it's yeah, yeah. no yeah that's what gene did i mean that's what gene did gene kim did with the phoenix project he put his own money in he publishes yeah. a book and now he's probably got 50 or 60 books in his publishing. Uh, oh, that's so, great. And, yeah, I'm thrilled the books come out in so many different languages, including yeah. Japanese. And I'm talking to a few other publishers for different languages. So I won't it's show great you. To have a global I won't move the camera, but it, over here, right over up there, I've got um, Dutch, Russian, Korean. <laughs> And then I figured with that one, it's it's kind of cool to hang in your office. Just yes, I know. Mine are all back. Yeah, mine yeah. Are all back you have here. your books yeah. in like four or five different languages. It's pretty cool. Yep. Anyway, it's been great to meet you. And I I, I agree. I I, I want to try to make an effort to. Well, certainly I want to try to do that trip. But but they're going to make an effort to sort of continue this conversation. So I would, I would love that. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Good. Stop the recording. Uh, there we go. That'll do it.